0: Welcome to Firelocks, the podcast. I am Bill Pachak, your host from the 4th Company Brigade of Guards. And here we are, another episode. It feels like it's been forever. It kind of has been forever. It's been about three months since our last episode, but uh, we have been very busy in the guards. And honestly, when we're in the groove of doing our events and doing a lot of writing on our blog and things like that, it, it is hard to do these recordings. So fear not. Uh, it has not been due to inactivity. It's been actually due to the opposite. But uh, I'm officially back now. We're gonna have some great episodes this summer. So for all of you who have been waiting, I appreciate it. And uh, and well. Here we are. Um, and I will mention that on the blog, um, if you aren't following it already or you don't know where to find it, we are at brigadeofguards.blogspot.com. And there you'll see all the articles we've been putting out for the past couple months. Um, like I said, again, focusing mostly on writing because it's easier to do that sometimes in and out rather than get a big chunk of time to do a recording and get an interview set up. So I uh, appreciate it if you are reading and please do check it out if, if, you, uh, if you're interested. And as I said, you know, the guards, we've been super busy. So I think uh, it's been about three months since the last episode. And since then, we've been to Mount Vernon. We went down to Petersburg, Virginia uh, at the end of May. And then we just got finished uh, an event at the Carlisle House in Alexandria, Virginia, which was a great event, really special historic site there, site of General Braddock's planning of his expedition in the French and Indian War. Um, And it was a kind of a combination birthday event for Alexandria, uh, which is turning 270, I believe, and uh, as well as Nova Park. So it was really nice for them to invite us in. We had a great time, Uh, wrote up a little article on that. So please do check that out. Now, of course, moving forward, though, we are in the summer. Uh, it's hot out there, uh, but we are still doing events. We have a big one coming up uh, next weekend. This is going to be July 6th and 7th. Um, we're going to be down in Yorktown, Virginia, which is a big deal for us, again, because this time it's the National Park Service who's going to invite us down. And it's just going to be the guards. We're going to be doing kind of a an occupation of Yorktown, occupation of the peninsula. Um, the guards were actually down there on the peninsula at this time, kind of in those months Before Yorktown, so we're going to be down there in Yorktown proper. So please, if you're in the area, if you're kind of in the Fourth of July mode, you're down in Williamsburg checking out the fireworks, things like that. uh, Please do come and see us. We're going to have a great time, and hopefully, are going to be staying cool. Um, I will mention though that if you can't make it out to Yorktown, or you're not in that immediate area, there's a couple other events you might want to check out uh, this coming weekend. The Battle of Humberton is going to be up in Castleton, Vermont. So uh, if you're if you're in the New England area please do check that out there's also going to be another prelude to yorktown event in surrey virginia so if you can't make it to yorktown um obviously we want you there (laughs) but you know check it out if you're in the area of surrey as well so uh all good stuff really excited and uh hopefully it's not gonna be too hot out there in our wool but you know what are you gonna do that's the life of a reenactor but, you know, that's not why I'm here on this episode. Um, I'm here because I've got a great guest. And this time we have got Mr. Marcio de Cunha. And I'm really super psyched to have him here. Um, we kind of met virtually a couple months back, said, hey, it would be great to do an interview, especially because Marcio is up in Canada. So he is the captain of the King's Regiment of Foot Light Company, uh, which is the 8th. Um, and he's also with his wife. Um, A purveyor of 18th century goods via Tembral Cockburn Cunha. So anybody who kind of is into the progressive community on Facebook and things like that, I'm sure you know him. Uh, The the man really needs no introduction. But it is a great conversation. It's a great interview that we had. Uh, We talked about what it's like to do reenacting up in Canada, which I haven't been fortunate enough to do. Um, as a sidebar, I'm actually going to go to Canada for the first time in my life in a couple of weeks. So um, I'm excited about that. And I'll, I'll be thinking about the guys up there when I'm when I'm uh, just doing my own tourist stuff. But he's got some great uh, insights into what it's like to do reenacting up there. Um, and then he's going to highlight a an event he put together very recently at Fort Erie which was a huge success by all counts many of us have been following it on Facebook kind of seeing the pictures come out of it and things like that so give some insight into how he went about planning that event and things so uh, I think it's a great conversation kind of gives us a little bit of material culture discussion a little bit about uh, lessons learned in terms of how we might make our events better and uh, just an all-around great guy happy to have him on so without further ado I'm going to turn it over to our interview with marcio and uh, i will see you all at the next episode which i promise will be coming a lot sooner than this one did so until then take care hey marcio thanks uh thanks for doing this i know we it's been a while since we originally kind of were in contact with each other and and here we are finally chatting a couple months later but i really appreciate you making time, I know that you've been uh, super busy recently, especially with one of your your last events. So um, there's all kinds of topics. I know we talked about kind of being able to cover, but maybe let's just start with with an introduction to yourself and, and to the unit that you run and kind of the, your, your personal background in the hobby and then the development of your unit and, and what you guys do and where you're based out of and everything like that.
1: Okay, well, my name is Marcel de Cunha. Uh, I've been uh, reenacting or participating in Living History for just about seven years now. Um, it started mainly uh, through my wife. Uh, we, were, um, we were discussing it before we moved to the UK many years ago. And uh, while we were there, I was interested in joining the Mancunian Legion, I believe is what it's called. Uh, they do a lot of Living History, quite progressive as you can call it, uh, marching from Manchester all the way to Dover. Uh, but owing to the procession, I moved back to Canada. We started talking to some of our friends who uh, were in reenacting. Uh, in the uh, Kings Royal Regiment New York at the time, and uh, we decided to just get in it. So uh, we, uh, we did what we could to purchase the items we needed to start off. Our first event was about four weeks after we, we signed up, and it was in, um, in uh, the United States at the Battle of the Hook. So we drove about 12 hours for our first event.
0: Wow, that's some serious commitment for one, one event. That's pretty yeah. impressive. For our
1: first event, te- well, technically our first real event was in Bath, Ontario, so it was only two hours away, but that was only for about two hours, three hours, to meet some of the people and to talk to them. But she sewed everything, uh, with the exception of my coat, I borrowed that, and uh, sewed all of her equipment in a matter of, uh, of three weeks, actually, uh, by hand. So uh, I was ready to go for the Battle of the Huck with my own clothes for the most part.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I, I just have to ask at this point, I mean, is it, is it kind of like the Midwest where the distances you have to drive reenacting Canada are just, I mean, do you often have to, is there anything in your backyard that you can go to regularly or no, you're always driving two no, we're hours? Always driving. Plus.
1: Wow. We're always driving. Um, the majority of the events take place, uh, in the United States. Uh, there's okay. very few that take place in Canada. At least now it used to be different years ago. Uh, my wife's been doing this since she was born in 83, so she, she's seen it all. And there used to be far more here uh, in the Midwest, huh. apparently, as well, as you would know. Uh, but, they, uh, huh. but they've changed. Uh, they've, they've really changed in terms of their, um, their number. So right now, you're lucky if you have one good, at least, reenactment a year in Canada. Uh, there is one or two smaller things that happen, some community events. But for the most part, it means that if you're going to do reenacting in Canada and it's American Revolution, specifically or obviously Civil War, um, you're going to be moving uh, to the United States quite often to be doing that. Um, and wow. that's, and, and that's I been mean, the case for us when we started our new unit, the eighth regiment of flood, everyone was aware that majority of our events, 95% of the events and what's going on is going to be in the United States.
0: Yeah. And how, how does the, so eighth regiment, this is, this is the regiment that you run now. How long did it take you to get from kind of, I mean, did you start this regiment from scratch? Was this, is this your unit from the beginning or did you take it over?
1: Yeah, so it's the, uh, it's the light company uh, okay. of the uh, 8th, the King's Regiment of Foot. Uh, we started talking about this quite a few years ago, myself and a few other individuals. Uh, we wanted to basically do what hadn't been done in Canada for quite some time. We wanted to bring reenactors and living historians together to talk about advancements that have been made in research and try to incorporate that where possible into a unit so everyone basically comes together, shares information, um, has a good time doing this, and go to a few events that aren't really being covered at the moment by um, by a lot of the units. There's some events that, for one reason or another, uh, the few American Revolution units in Canada are not covering. They don't go to, uh, so mm-hmm. we wanted to address that as well. But yeah, the unit was started by myself. Um, it was uh, it was really brought forward officially about two years ago. The one have been in works for about three, and um, and I had a few individuals who. We've been along the whole way uh, from start to finish. Um, my wife, obviously, being the key one, um, she does uh, pattern drafting professionally. She's a best folk tailor. You know, she went to the UK for this, to apprentice. She went to school for it. So I lucked out as I did research wow. and I, as I had information given to me, because a lot of individuals are quite kind and gave me a lot of information as well on the 8th Regiment of Foot. You know, individuals like Eric Blomquist, he, he gave me a significant amount that helped me get off the ground. And as we uncovered this, my wife with her pattern drafting skills was actually able to produce appropriate patterns. Uh, we examined original uniforms. We were lucky enough to be able to access and we incorporated that information into it. But it's been a long process and we're still not done. Uh, we, have, um, we have about 14 men now and a few women. Uh, obviously, we have the children as well. But because of that, because we're continuing to expand, we always have more stuff to work on. And it's a requirement that everyone either sews their equipment by hand themselves Or they have to have someone who's competent and has been approved by the unit in order to have the work done. And so far, I'd say out of the 14 so far, uh, 13 have done it all by themselves. One person has done pretty much 75% of the work themselves and had my wife help them with something. Yeah. But that's why it's taking us a while. So when you look at the photographs of the unit, you'll see, you know, one person has a buff waistcoat they may have borrowed or a coat might not fit properly because they're borrowing equipment. But slowly, everyone is piecing everything together, all hand-sewn. All the equipment comes from within the unit in terms of the stand of arms, with the exception, of course, of a a bayonet and a musket. And even that, if you guys want to work on putting together uh, muskets from kits. So you know, we're going to have people who quite literally, all the equipment, top to bottom, will be coming from the unit. Even some canteens. Some guys want to look into expanding their skills and doing tin work. Uh, We know some friends in the area who who, do barrels and uh, staved canteens and so on, so not appropriate for what we're doing at the moment. But the reality is, you know, if we want to do this and we want to do it well, often means we have to do it ourselves. And that was the impetus for the group. Um, we don't agree with some of the policies of some of the groups in Canada, social policies, and in terms of the requirements for their equipment. Um, so we decided the best thing to do is start our own. And the equipment side means we can focus on the accuracy. So everything we have, our stand of arms is based on the originals. We've had an opportunity to examine them. A um, the belly box, for example, we have some friends in Milwaukee Valley that gave us some information. Let us actually look at some. Uh, we went to the Canadian War Museum, took measurements, uh, detailed images, and we were able to see a few things that are not including the reproductions. So if we want to do it right, after looking at the equipment, the only choice was to do it ourselves because it, it doesn't exist. Um, like I said, the belly box, you can't buy a period correct belly box unless you're having it made by one of the very few, uh, I guess, best spoke or, or custom kit makers out there who do quite a good job like Andrew Kirk, for example, right? He does an, a wonderful job with this equipment. Um, but other than that to an individual like that, you have to do it yourself. Wow.
0: And, and I mean, I, I guess since you, you started this two years ago and you kind had, of had the ability to form kind of the unit from the ground up, essentially, I mean, are, everybody who joins your unit is, is on board with, with doing all this manual labor, I imagine, right? I mean, there's not an yeah. issue of kind of converting people who are used to a different approach to the hobby. It's kind of everybody, you know. You advertise, hey, you want to join this thing? You're you got to be all in. You got to be, you got to be doing it all, right? Is that kind of the approach?
1: That's correct. Uh, in fact, we have a charter that we uh, approved two years ago. Um, actually, no, sorry, about a year and a half ago, after unit was formed, we got people together, we talked about things, but then I, I actually wrote a charter. We had a meeting on it. Everything was approved, and in the charter it says that our goal is to be accurate. And uh, there are certain requirements that go along with that. And everyone understood that that means a lot of the equipment's going to have to be handmade. Um, We had some people that were already in the hobby that for one reason or another decided to join our unit. Uh, Some of them participate in other groups. Some of them left groups for various reasons and come together here. We have a few people that are from 1812 and they wanted to focus again on the accuracy and have higher quality of events. So they started wanting to do something with us. And then we have people who've literally never done anything at all. No form of reenacting whatsoever. Not medieval, not eighteen twelve, not Rev War, and they decided to just join us, knowing that that was a standard. But it's made clear, uh, even for oh. children, we have we have a manual uh, for camp followers or followers that is. We have one for children, we have one for soldiers, and everyone agrees that at the end of the day, they have to file the requ- file, sorry follow the requirements in order to participate in the group.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you have a huge advantage having your wife and the experience that she has. Um, not only in, in getting you interested in the hobby, I guess, to begin with, right? But, but kind of working behind the scenes, I imagine to at a minimum mentor you all and maybe, I don't know, maybe provide some extra help. Um, sorry, that's my phone. Um, but how long does it take? How long do you anticipate it takes to get a kit, your full kind of light kit from start to finish? How long does that generally
1: take to get somebody up? Are you 100% complete yet? I uh, I am uh not only for myself well sorry i have a light infantry kit uh as a private and Uh i have officer equipment and they're both done and they're both hand sewn uh my uniform was the prototype the first one uh so even as we were talking about the unit i knew i wanted to do something it wasn't quite sure what it was going to be so i looked into what what the standards might be that we would have to set and when we we decided on the eighth regiment of foot after talking to some friends and getting approval as well because we have been approved by the um by i guess you can say the senior unit in the bar for the eighth that existed at the time so we had authorization to okay. do it from them but when we started talking about that we looked at what we need to do use my code as a standard and yeah mine was the first one to be done the officer one was done just a few months ago but uh, to get it done from start to finish you're talking about maybe about five to six months uh wow, we have guys who are all. no it's not bad because really, my that's wife really good that's really good yeah, what my wife does is she uh, she takes everyone's measurements, uh, she creates a custom pattern for that individual, again, because she does best book tailoring, um, so after we have that pattern, we have it for a pattern library, but that individual has those items, so they'll go off and they'll buy materials from the people who we've approved um, for the unit to go to, because there's a list of people you must go to if you're going to purchase something,
0: right. and right.
1: Uh, and they'll start working on it with her help, because honestly, I, I don't sew very well with the exception of leather, but yeah, it takes about five months. Um, from start to finish we have some people that have taken a bit longer about a year uh, we have one person who looks like they're going to be done in less than that but it it's roughly that amount of time about five months for someone to get completely equipped
0: that's really impressive um and is that through doing it okay so that's that's if the obviously it's because the person is sewing it themselves But of they so you're all sewing your own regimentals and everything
1: that's right That's correct. Stand of arms. I provide, um, there's two prices. There's the unit price, which is material and, um, wear and tear on my equipment. And then if anyone wants to purchase anything from me, which surprisingly people have been asking, um, then there's a different price for that. But for the unit, it's, it's just there so that it can be made available so they can get out there and do what they need to do. Um, so it's not being subsidized, but I'm not making money off of it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it helps them get out there faster.
0: So what made you want to go with uh, the, that particular unit? What, what, what was the enticement for the Eighth Light Company?
1: So one thing that people don't know is that obviously the, the revolution itself took place in Canada, but often people think of Quebec itself. Now, everything, including Ontario, was the province of Quebec at that point. Um, it was Quebec, but what we think of as Ontario today, um, there were some units in the area. Now, that includes the units that were at um, Fort Erie, uh, what was the original Fort Erie at the time, built in 1764. Uh, but there's some areas such as Carlton Island, which is now technically part of the United States. Uh, it's by Wolf Island right across from Kingston, Ontario. So there were units there. Um, and then there were units moving all throughout uh, according to wherever they needed to go and what the situation was. But the 8th Regiment of Foot, specifically the light company, was at, um, I'm going to butcher the name, my apologies, uh, Fort Oswego. <laughs> which is oh, now Ogdensburg. Have better than me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically Ogdensburg and eventually they moved partially to Carlton Island. Uh, so they were in the area of Ontario, one of the only units to do so. They were also at obviously uh, Fort Niagara, which is rather close, but they were also at Fort Erie. Sure. So as far as a unit being here in our province, we do have members in Quebec, but in, in terms of being in Ontario, that's one of the units that can be said to, to have been based here. This is where they operated so it's close to us in terms of the history but then it's also an interesting unit because again people think certain thing of the units not necessarily the case well it's it was just at the forts it was just in garrison and that's all they did well that's not correct that's what we often get asked well they didn't really do anything what what was going on well they were based there and they were kind of the last line of defense if something went wrong they needed units such as the eighth to defend those locations to protect quebec and we saw that right in 1775 uh, when uh, when Quebec was attacked uh, the eighth regiment of foot we were able to discover with our with our research was actually at Quebec City in small numbers along with the uh, tw- uh, with the seventh regiment of foot and the 26th um, oh, okay so th- so they actually were here they were defending the place we know the Battle of the Cedars which took place around Montreal where they were then pushing out Benedict Arnold uh, from the area but they fought here they fought in Canada and that connection made it interesting for us that the fact that they actually were an active unit participating in the raids as well in places such as Cherry Valley, <laughs> they, uh, they were extensively used in that type of situation. So it's an active unit as well. And it's in an area that's close enough for us that we can get to rather reasonably. To to Mohawk Valley for some of our members takes three hours, for some okay. of them it takes about eight. But that's not bad in terms of reenacting in Canada.
0: Yeah. I mean, how many how many units
1: are up there? Um, just over a handful. We have okay. ourselves, the King's Royal Regiment of New York, the Queen's uh, Rangers who are, are actually still an active military unit, the Queen's York Rangers. So many of them are actual veterans. Uh, and wow. then we have the 84th yeah. Regiment of Foot and uh, and such units, a, a few here and there. Um, some of them have have gone defunct. There are some that I haven't mentioned that just aren't around anymore. Uh, but really, that's, that's the main core of the units that are in Canada. And then we have um, the Americans, the 2nd Connecticut.
0: And I mean, is there is there a general understanding of why why things have kind of dried up a bit? I mean, obviously you you and the and the eighth are reinvigorating it. I mean, clearly by, by your Facebook presence and everything. But before you were around, you mentioned kind of a decline on the Canadian side. Was was there a reason for that? Sorry. Or I mean, I think it's happened in America to a certain extent. You know, the same. We've gone through kind of a generational shift,
1: but yeah, I wouldn't even say Canada. I wouldn't even say it dried up. It's just shifted. Um, oh, interesting. There's a lot of politics that have taken place in Canada. A lot of the policies that have been put in place that have really upset a lot of the reenactors that were in some of the groups. So they decided instead really? of moving to another group, they just left. Uh, some of them ended up going to Medieval, for example. There's quite a few of our friends that okay. are there. Uh, some of them were trying to get me into it as well. And it's a great hobby to be doing. It's a lot more physical. Uh, they have full contact. And then there's the War of 1812 as well. Some people got into there, and 1812 expanded for quite some time. As Rev War started to taper off a few years ago, 1812 exploded. And now that the bicentennial is over, um, it's it's shrunk significantly. We don't have yeah. one thousand person battles anymore. We're lucky if we have a hundred or two hundred wow. people at an event.
0: You got it up We're to luck- a, you got it up to a thousand people, huh? For some of the 1812
1: just battles? over, just over wow. that. I was at I was at the Siege of Fort Erie, and it was impressive. We had just over a 1,000 people it was announced during the battle uh, that were on the field as soldiers uh, to participate, and we actually marched in full columns. So we marched wow. off in columns onto the field, and we did something that I've never seen done before in a reenactment. It's when the line goes from two into four. So instead of being two ranks deep, you're now four ranks deep, and you're a very large column once you do that Whoa. instead of being a line. Okay,
0: wait. I'm like, trying to imagine this here. So... Four ranks deep, that's a pretty unusual formation, right? I mean... Yeah, you're not firing in
1: four ranks, or technically you can, but what happens is you march off, you go from column into line, Yeah. and then normally you have obviously two ranks, the front rank and the rear rank, and you're one gigantic line. But if you're in that position and you actually go from two into four, every second man steps back an additional pace and you now are four deep. So it deepens your column. So instead of being one line, you're these very thick deep columns and you can march wow. forward and you know, the first one will fire and so on and then they can move out of the way and the next ranks move forward or you could just move the entire army as a column and it's similar to what happened in the battle so we had so many people that were actually able to see that done for once and it was That's impressive crazy. nothing like waterloo where they had apparently 10,000 they limited it to 10,000 reenactors um yeah but it but being there in such a small area because it's very confined we we got a little bit of a a taste of what it's like to be at Waterloo. Wow, but yeah, what, that's amazing. with what happened with a lot of the groups, um, the policies and so on, a lot of groups didn't want to take part in it, and they left. Um, some great groups, the marksmen, no longer exist for various reasons, and they were an inspiration to a lot of the units around us, uh, including myself. They were focused on accuracy, on quality, uh, and when they left, we a lot of us started thinking, well, you know, this is something we really should continue to work on, and and that was actually, to be honest, some of the impetus for us forming the 8th. Our idea was to form a group similar to that and it's it's gotten interest up again Um, while some groups are losing members and are losing interest we're not actually having a hard time recruiting in fact we've turned away about 15 people over the last two years who just don't work they don't sync with us and they're not able to be part of the group for various reasons
0: so what (laughs) that's really interesting so what do you think the key is i mean Do you have any kind of special recruiting techniques that you found have been successful or is it just, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Please share. Actually, we do. We have a manual. Um, I've actually written a recruiting manual and um, some groups don't like the content. Some people don't like the content and there was a bit of a discussion we've seen online about some of that and it comes to social media. Um, We know what we do. We do it because we love history. Uh, I love discussing things with people. I love talking about it. I have a master's degree in social history um and involving english social history so that was a passion of mine and i use that i use social media as a tool to get our name out there i tag mm-hmm. various things for example um using even cosplay and i don't know, I don't know if some people are going to cringe when they hear that or larping and so on but it gets the attention of the younger people and once you get their attention they start seeing what we're doing start seeing the history the accuracy involved and that gets a lot of interest. Half the members that we have uh, that we've allowed to join are from that. And I have to say allowed to join because we we have the standard in terms of accuracy, but we have a social policy as well in the group. Uh, We believe it should be accessible to everyone regardless of the general gender orientation and so on. And Mm -hmm. I know some people are going to get upset, but we also allow women in our groups in terms of the ranks because we have a high standard and we say that you have to have items A, B, and C. You have to look a certain way. And if they do that, and they have, we have had women in the ranks in our group, people have been able to figure it out because they just look like younger boys, which was historically correct, right? right? The 16-year-old boy looks a little effeminate when they're in proper equipment. And if you do it this way and you give everyone an opportunity to have access to their history, because it's their history as well, uh, it gets people interested. And we've had some quite quality reenactors come back into the hobby or have an interest in this because of that. in Canada. Uh, We have certain policies that you don't have in the United States in terms of the law. Um, If you want to be on federal property or provincial property, if you want to have access to government money for your events, you need to follow human rights legislation. And that means that policies like the ones we put forward are essential. Otherwise, you can actually be forbidden from participating um, in those sites. You can be forbidden from having access to the money. So it's, it's it's part of a requirement to exist right now as a reenacting organization. And we're not the only ones. Um, many groups in Canada have that same policy now because it's required. Um, And it's helped us. We've gotten people because of that.
0: So just to clarify, is that the kind of policy that you were saying uh, drove people off? Or were you talking about different policies that drove
1: people off? Policies that didn't allow people to bring them in. Let's say, for example, saying if you have a certain orientation, you might not be welcome to a group. Obviously, that's going to push people away, not only of of that nature, but you're going to push away people who don't feel that that's a right thing to do to people as well or let's say you know you're not going to have women in the ranks well i'm sorry if you work for the right. government that means your job's at stake now because in canada in ontario specifically if you're part of an organization that actively says you cannot have uh, women take place or women do not have an equal role well guess what you're now in violation of that and you can lose your job Forget about, about funding even in, for your even organization in, uh,
0: even for private clubs huh that's the case huh that's well the
1: thing is you're, you're a government employee Oh, so you reflect the government. So a private club wow. is just if it has access to government sites and government money, and we yeah. do, right? as as we were saying, we, we had the Fort Erie event. If we're going to be at a place like that, using government money, using government sites, we're now subject to government regulations. So if we wanted to or not, that's the standard. And the reality is it's worked out quite well. We have a good reputation. Uh, you can't, no one's ever been able to point out the women that we had in the ranks. Mm. Um, and like I said, we have a very high standard. Uh, and to be honest, we've had some people point out the woman that we had before, and they're saying, oh, was it that person? No, that's one of the 19-year-old members in our group. <laughs> so they How looked rather that? young, but yeah. yeah. But like I said, it, it's it's moving forward in a different direction that's welcoming everyone to the group that's now brought more people towards us. Um, we've had people that we've had to turn away because they don't agree with that, and that's fine. They can go and find another group. Uh, we've had people that... That just aren't willing to follow the accuracy, and they haven't been able to join the group either. And we've actually had some women as well that say, "Well, we'd like to join." We said, "Okay, here's the standard." So, well, I don't think I can follow the standard. And we say, "Okay, well, thank you." The the standard is what it is. You need to follow these, and it's the same for everyone. The uniform must fit properly. You have to shave. If you have long hair, it has to be in a queue. Um, sorry, clubbed. Yeah. Not just in a queue; it has to be clubbed. Um, and certain things like that help improve a person's appearance. Regardless if it's a man or a woman, uh, a younger person or older person, you know, you wear your hat properly and it's a little lower blocking the sun, of course, as well. And you really can't tell who's under that hat, but it it works. Um, at the end of the day, even the shaving has been an issue. We've had people that just didn't want to oh, shave yeah. and because of that. Yeah. You know, because of that, they haven't been able to join the group. Uh, we've had some very good friends actually approach us saying, we want to join. I was saying, great, but you know, you have to shave. And the conversation pretty much ended within five seconds of that. Yep. because
0: it's a terrible time to recruit, considering
1: how popular beards are. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I guess well, I have one right now. I haven't I, shaved in. Yeah, I haven't shaved in two weeks. Um, not yeah, since yeah, my I'm last event. Sure
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but it's I mean, I, I, I've run into people all the time who are I mean, they show an immediate interest. And I'm like, you know, you have to shave your beard. And, and they're like, oh, that's it. No, I can't do it. I'm like, really? That's you can't you even shave you- for like just an event. And then you can grow it back. Like, no, I will never shave my beard. So it's,
1: we're, but it's, it's not totally just shaving time.
0: Yeah, it's
1: not just shaving we run quite a bit as well uh, because we're, we're a unit to participate in the raids from about 78 onwards in the Mohawk Valley and other areas um, in Michigan Ohio and so on as well uh, we, um, we have to run we have to go through rough terrain um, it's kind of well known that I completely destroyed a pair of shoes in October we ran we were doing a private free form tactical so no public and it is war gaming and we had certain rules we had to adhere to, but we want to win. Uh, so we ran pretty fast. We, we jumped through some ravines and rivers and uh, completely soaked my shoes in October. Um, they ended up drying inappropriately, and they just broke up. They broke, they broke apart. So it's very physically yeah. demanding, um, and not everyone can do that. We're not a yeah, unit so that just stands good. in the line. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we run, and that's a problem. There's some guys who look physically fine, but when they're out in the field, they just say they can't keep up with it. Uh, because yeah. we do a lot of freeform tacticals. We do a lot of private, closed events where there's no public. Um, and obviously, we do the public events as well. It's just we, we prefer that sort of thing, like going to a range and shooting, right? There's certain things that we just want to do uh, that aren't as common, but we are working on that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. If you're a light company, right? I mean, you got to be doing that kind of work. You got to be doing that kind of work.
1: That's right. And that's where we start losing people as well, or people can't really fit because if they aren't physically able to do it, I understand they're interested in being part of the group, but it just doesn't work. Now we give everyone opportunity. If they want to try it, please feel free to do so. We're not going to say no to anyone. Uh, In fact, if there's someone that was in a wheelchair that wanted to join, for example, we've talked about that before, and we have ways of incorporating people of all walks of life. But if you want to be on the field shooting, um, because there's lots of options in terms of what you want to do, but if you want to be on the field shooting, there's a certain requirement. If you want to be in camp, uh, let's say portraying a soldier who's injured, we can do that. But yeah, to to actually be with us on the field, running, shooting, doing what we need to do, there are physical requirements, and that's difficult for a lot of people to meet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, well, being a Canadian, right, and and being a British unit, you probably get the majority of recruits, right? I mean, I I imagine it's the reverse of what happens in the States, which is us British units are – it's pretty hard recruiting, right? Yeah. Is that is that the case? I mean, everybody probably mm-hmm. always goes towards the British side up there.
1: No, no, really, no, not actually, no, really, uh, no. We have we have uh, we have some friends uh, who do American units, like I, I mentioned, the Second Connecticut. Uh, Chase yeah. Patterson is a great guy, great person, and his unit had a lot of people, uh, and they're and they're pretty good, and they recruit rather well. And uh, now we're here, so we're an alternative uh, for the British. So if someone wants to do something similar; they want to run, they want to be with some younger guys, or at least guys mm-hmm. who are more physically able. There's that option now. Uh, and what we're finding is people who do British in 1812, for example, are very interested in what we're doing. People who are doing, uh, American 1812 are very interested in what he's doing. Uh, so it's, and it's nice to have that option. Uh, but no, um, we've, we've actually seen far more people want to go to American and provincial in the past because it's in Canada. There's a lot of people with loyalist ancestry. Most people I'd say actually go the provincial route.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that's where we so started
1: I, a lot of us started as provincials
0: okay so provincials but in well so what's what's a provincial unit up there that for
1: example oh, the queen's rangers the is a good example they're oh, a great okay. provincial okay. unit yeah they're yeah. they're a bunch of friendly people they're actual veterans um there's the 84th who actually are, are not provincials at, at that point that they're covering uh Royal regiment new york there was the butlers rangers um various groups such as that um so there was at one point a lot more provincials. It seems a little bit more diverse right now, which is good. We we want diversity so we can portray things properly. Gotcha.
0: Um, I mean, when you're talking about jumping around and doing being very active, um, I have to imagine that that was an element of the event that you organized, right, at, at Erie. So maybe it we could talk a little a bit extent. about that. Maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of how you uh, the background of that event and how you envisioned it and how it, how it went off and kind of maybe some lessons okay. learned about, was this your, was this your first event that you put off or no, you've, you've been doing this for no. a while.
1: No, um, I can't take credit for being the sole person responsible for some of the previous events. I've, I've worked on other events with a lot of great people, uh, yep. Fairfield goods site, for example, uh, one of the places I'm a director of, uh, we, um, we've hosted many events. We've had the tall ship festival with tens of thousands of people in attendance. We had 10 tall ships. We had about Fourteen longships, so you know, rowing vessels, and and so on. We had a hundred naval reenactors, uh, cannons. We had, I think it was 50,000 people in attendance over four days. So we put on some larger events. I've helped a few of them, but this is the first rev where I've done separate from any other organization, just planning it by myself. And wow. I did plan it all by myself. Um, I had a certain desire to keep things as they were. Uh, to stick to a certain plan which meant that some units weren't really interested in helping carry it out they attended Hmm. but they weren't interested in assisting carrying it out so at the end of the day yes i i did put the event together myself with the support of the Fort Erie staff so we did that event because it's pertinent to the 8th regiment of foot the light company and some of the line companies and Uh, and what what event is it oh i'm sorry sorry but yeah you're getting into it go ahead sure so the fort was built in 1764 it was manned by the butler's rangers 8th regiment of Foot. Uh, the Indian Department, there were two, I guess they're called gunners that I'm seeing in the documents actually, uh, mm-hmm. that were in, sorry, maybe it's not gunners. Uh, there were two individuals from the Royal Artillery that were there leading some men from the 8th Regiment afoot, uh, but it's a fort that was manned throughout the period. It was destroyed in, I believe, 1801 in a storm. It was rebuilt to its current form, but during the war, it was there. At one point, it was actually <laughs> It was actually led by Walter Butler when he was an ensign of the 8th Regiment of Foot, uh, just oh, wow. prior to the start of the war. So we have a connection there. Our unit was there. The Butlers were there. The Indian Department was there. And we made sure they were represented at the event. But we decided to do things a little differently. The event was for us, by us. So it's an event by living historians, for living historians. It's not a reenactment. Nothing happened there, but we use it as an opportunity to to do what we wanted. And the fort was very cooperative. They understood we wanted to act. Uh, we wanted to portray more history and less shooting. So we put together an event that covered the lives of the followers. Uh, the women at the okay. site were learning about nursing uh, from Paul Suppley. He's a great individual. He does a lot of work in terms of 18th century surgeons, and he doesn't do it gory. He talks about the history. He does it accurately? He's he's teaching you something. It's not a shock factor thing. He's actually okay. trying to impart knowledge to you and he used this as an opportunity to teach the women all weekend long about how to actually be proper nurses in the period because there were nurses and he did a great job of that. Uh, my wife uh, led demonstrations on 18th century beauty and it's not things that were not appropriate for the role but rather how a camp follower should take care of her hair. She's done research on this. She she knows the products that they use because they did use items, you know, even using fats in your hair to keep them uh, cared for it's something that happens and it's documented she has this information she passed it on so part of it she actually throughout the day on the Saturday had the woman come up and she said well, come up sit down if you have what you need we'll we'll put your hair together and everyone for the most part had accurate period hair which was interesting nice. to see
0: nice. it was the
1: first time I actually looked around and for the most part every camp follower had hair that looked like something right out of a um, right out of a Sandby painting or sorry watercolor illustration it, it looked incredible yeah. um so, some people were disheveled which is great like their clothing was in tatters and so on but they still had their hair taken care of with some matter of decency um I'm but there that. was also other things uh such as laundry uh so on the sunday she changed things up and she was doing uh a washerwoman impression uh so mm-hmm. she had the proper equipment she had the blueing and she was showing people how to do that so they were participating in that as well and some other women of the camp were We're sewing throughout the weekend, working on things for themselves and from other individuals. Uh, We encourage people to even charge a small amount of money, you know, like 25 cents a quarter to sew on a button. Mm -hmm. Um, We had one family that had their son there from the 84th Regiment of Foot. And he was just getting into things and, you know, the kid's clothes need some work, but he had such passion for it. He did such a great job. He actually impressed me more than anyone else because really young kid and he, and he came out and he had items that he was selling as a sutler to the army and people bought them. Uh, it was these, uh, these, um, uh, meat pies and there was a period recipe for it and everything. And he did such a great job and everyone loved it because despite kit, which you can work on, he had the passion, he had the information and he put it out there and he did something that I haven't seen many people do at any event, you know, nice. a kid, just a kid, not an yeah. adult doing a proper subtler impression for someone who's not old enough to be in the army. It was great. And that's what we wanted to do with the event. So we didn't have really any drills. We had demonstrations on period swordsmanship, for example, from, um, from and Brackley and individuals who's associated with the group who does enlightenment fencing. So we led a, a seminar on that, and he showed people how it works, and they loved it. Uh, we had some units from, uh, from the Midwest, uh, one of the French units, come out, and they were actually participating in that as well. Uh, we had uh, a bayonet uh, drill, and I have to say it's experimental, as in we, we just, well, not myself. Um, Wayne Reneau, one of our members, took the information that he had and tried to put together what it may have looked like if there was some sort of drill. Because we know something was being done. Uh, bayonets were being used. There's no mm-hmm. written manual. So he had to look at different examples in different areas. And Ian Brackley has done this as well. There are records. There are instances of bayonets being used and being recorded the manner in which they're using being used. So we, we tried to incorporate that into the event, and it was fun. People loved it. So it was an opportunity yeah. to actually learn rather than just shoot. But we had the battle as well. And the fort for those who haven't been there is far larger than what it looks like in the pictures. It's a good size fort. We're not talking about something in terms of footprint that is the size of old Fort Niagara, but it is it is an impressive fort. It's all walled and all the sides. Um there's a terraplane inside one of the second walls, so it's 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 got a wall within a wall <laughs> that has a rather large field that you can look out through. Um, but there's a lot of ditches, so it's physically demanding to actually assault the fort. And we decided, well, we ha- we're we going to have one battle on one side, and it was going to be rather large. We didn't have the the numbers that we needed for various reasons. I don't know where two events popped up, which kind of took individuals mm. away from us, but we mm. may do. There's a trench system there. So I looked at the trench system. I talked to the fort staff, and I said, how often do you use this? And they said, really, it's static. We never really had anyone use the trench system to assault, to actually have a battle demonstration. So I put one together. Uh, we started with bombardment we had uh, men sally forth from the fort uh, to counter that and then we actually had men climb the hills uh, and climb the entrenchments wow. and they were going over and at a certain point the defending force gets pushed back and they try to make it into the fort and at that point the attacker literally scaled the walls with ladders we had two or three ladders depending on the day, and uh, men literally went over the walls. Uh, They passed off their muskets, and they were running up these ladders and getting shot and going down as they went over, but at a certain point, the attacker outnumbered the defender, and it was impressive. Uh, They actually, for the first time for many of these people, had an opportunity to siege a fort and to actually take the fort. Wow. Um, Yeah, so we tried to represent it through high casualties because it's suicidal to attack a fort, and we wanted that to be seen. But we made sure the artillery was on the attacking side, so at the same yeah. time, you have that bombardment while the men are going over the wall. So visually, apparently the public loved it. Um, I don't have wow. many videos of it, but that's what happened. The artillery's going as the men are going up, trying to reflect the fact that they are under a bombardment as they're going over. They're laying down suppressive fire, as you might see in the modern context. Um right. and visually was, it was, was the idea that
0: the wa- was the idea that the walls were breached and that you would or you know you were just gonna go up and over anyway. I mean
1: it, I guess that they weren't it, really breached, right? We do we did two things. We did a bit of a a bit of an unscripted section. And that's if a certain force that we were working with was able to get through the fort, great, more power to them. Um, And the other ones, yeah, were using a ladder. Our our native allies, when uh, we were attacking, were the ones who were trying to get over the fort without using the ladder. And they succeeded. They found the weak point in the fort that wasn't defended. And they were actually able to get over the walls without any opposition. Uh, but no, we, the light company is the one that went over the wall first, my light company. And it was, um, <laughs> it was interesting <laughs> trying to, to actually do that, but it's fun. Everyone enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds great. I mean, it, it's something that I've, I mean, I've only been in the hobby for a couple of years now. I started back in 15, I guess. So it's, you know, four, four to five years. Um, but it, I mean, I haven't done anything at a fort, you know, usually I'm always just in a line of battle. So to hear about kind of the creativity of, of. Developing that kind of event is just kind of fun. And obviously, I was following it on Facebook, both in the watching your planning happening and then and then some of the uh, the post, post-event post pictures. So I'm glad to hear it went successfully. And I, I guess you got a good, pretty good crowd out, right?
1: We did. Um, there was rather bad weather on the Saturday, which stampered things in terms uh, of that uh, audience it, yeah. attendance. But we still had people coming out on the Saturday and the Sunday. The numbers are rather good. So mm-hmm. we actually had a lot of interest. And we have people asking this, is it going to happen again? And, and no, it's not. I don't know if it's ever going to happen again. It might uh, just because <laughs> I, I have a personal aversion to um, the yearly events. I believe events okay. should take place you know, every two, three, four years to give other places an opportunity to put something yeah. on to keep things fresh. So I don't know if we're going to do anything in the next two years. We're definitely going to do garrisons there because the fort loved it. Yeah. And the fort staff were very supportive. Um, they loved everything we did. They let us do basically what we wanted within reason because we were safe. Um, yeah. They were surprised by how safe we were. We, we had new standards that they weren't even familiar with. And um, it, it just turned out so well that they want us to go back for garrison days, which we're going to do. And we're going to use it for drill and reflect the 1764 to 1801 era of the fort, uh, which is great to have that connection now with that location. But yeah, for, uh, usually when you go to a fort, you have a battle taking place outside or there's a door that opens and someone goes in. But right. very rarely do they say, here's, here's a bunch of ladders. Oh, and do you want to use a rope as well to try to climb the wall? Very rarely do you have that happen.
0: So cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess yeah, we're kind of kind of finishing up here. Is there anything that you kind of take from this event or from your experience in the eighth that, that you think that, you know, more people should be embracing or that you'd like to see kind of in the next couple of years um, that you're trying yeah. to push you know, via your education or. I'm just kind of curious on where you like to see the hobby from move, you know, from where you're kind of inter- interacting with it and other people.
1: Yeah. There's a few things. The first one's cooperation. All the units really need to cooperate okay. more. Uh, we're not, yeah. we're not enemies. Um, some people I know um, and I don't agree with them. Say, you know, we're, we're not friends. We're, we're rivals. And I, and I don't agree with that. That's not the case. Yeah. We're friends. Um, Second mm-hmm. Connecticut. I really want to work with them. 84th and the, Queen's Rangers, I love working with them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of units in the South that we're working with as well. And there's no reason to not share information. So the more we work together, the better it is for everyone. Not just at events, just sharing the information. Um, yeah. But we also have to understand that things are changing. Uh, the role of followers needs to be embraced. Um, they were mm-hmm. there in many instances. At a place like Fort Erie, it's a great example. But we're in Garrison. There are civilians there. Our unit specifically, we have the records for it. It had a significant number of children at... At Carlton Island, a ridiculous number. Uh, They were rather busy, and it wasn't drilling, so they were rather they were rather well represented. Um, And this is something we need to start embracing. And some of the units in Canada have not done that. It's a matter of having the followers there and cooking and doing whatever for the men. And it's not accurate. It's not something we should be doing. We should be representing what they really did, giving the role Mm -hmm. of women a larger voice, a larger role. And that's what our units about when it comes to that. The other Mm -hmm. thing is also accepting that not everything's about the military. Uh, living history yeah. also involves civilians. So myself, I'm actually working on more civilian-oriented things. Uh, it's what my research was on when I was in graduate school. So I want to work on a, uh, a gambling impression. We're joking around saying it's going to be the be the blue rake. You know, we'll go around and have <laughs> not actual gambling in terms of money being exchanged, but have period games being played and teaching people how to do this. Uh, my wife did a gingerbread merchant impression at an event two weeks ago. So she actually looked at several images and recreated the actual appearance of the woman. She recreated period gingerbread recipes um, and, she, and, she, and she gave them away as if she was selling them. And it got a nice. great reception. And this is the type of thing that really I think we need to be focusing on. There's a traditional military aspect, but there's a civilian as well that, that is new to many people. Um, we're working on an event next year that's going to be reflecting that. And it's the type of thing we really should be focusing on as well giving equal representation to the fight, the sort of the forts, the sites and the reenactors themselves. It's really something we should make an effort to try to represent.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, I found that, I mean, I focus heavily on the military history kind of part of the research. And i found that when I interact with people, I mean, there's certainly people who are interested in time period that are not necessarily interested in learning out on the military tactics, you know? Mm-hmm. So to the extent that oh, I. But we do for
1: I, ulterior reasons as well we have ulterior right. motives partially <laughs> it's if you get that guy out who doesn't want to fire the musket and you yeah. put that musket in his hand and we've seen this, oh, well, he's going to come back and he's going to want to fire the musket. But at the same time, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to do just military. I'm more interested in civilian, uh, yeah. in a few weeks, actually in about a week, I'm going to be down at Johnson hall and I'm going to be talking to their staff and about an event we're planning for next fall. And it's purely civilian, civilian lamps lessons, civilian demonstrations, a ball, a masquerade and so on because there are those people and there is that desire to do something that doesn't involve the military and it's just as important as the military aspect as well. It is our history, in some cases more so. yeah.
0: Yeah, and I mean, to the extent that a unit can present more than one facet, right? I mean, if you're strong in the Mm -hmm. military aspect, but I mean, you're strong in the the camp follower and just the general civilian. I mean, it it, it just, for me, uh, it makes sense that you would have a more rounded, event that you can hold where you get more people interested and you can capture more of that kind of interest in the 18th century that's not going to be military focused so it's yeah i mean that makes
1: sense and our group itself it doesn't just do it doesn't just do the american revolution our charter it says clearly that we do the 18th century in general okay uh focusing on the eighth regiment of foot for the military uh, during the revolution but we also have a civilian aspect and that's part of what we're working on for next year to have a representation of civilian life in general down in the Mohawk Valley in Johnson hall. There's no military. We're not going to be shooting at each other. We might be having hunting demonstrations, but it's, it's about civilian life and how it would have been in the 18th century in a wonderful setting.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, I think maybe we'll, we'll call it for now for today. I mean, we could go on for a while more, but I'll let you get back to your kids. I know I got to get back to mine too. So uh, Marcio, Hey man, it was great talking to you. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to kind of find each other at the same event because we got some, got some miles of separation between the two of us, but who knows, you know, especially as the two fifties come around and things
1: like that. So, Oh, you'll um, see us. We will travel. Uh, we, we, yeah, we how, how, far
0: south, how far south do you usually make it? You go down to mid Atlantic stuff at all.
1: I'll oh, go past there. Uh, we go were right. helping out a gentleman in South Carolina. Um,
0: Oh, uh, this past okay. year, the
1: prior year, he had an event out there, and we got talking. So he went down and we we tried his event out, and it was in, in Charleston. Um, so oh, we okay. went there ourselves. Well, we south.
0: might, we very well might see you then. Absolutely, yeah. that's farthest yeah. south yeah, that We go.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be going to Virginia next year. Um, we we've, okay. gone to, uh, we've gone to we've gone to Guilford Courthouse in the past. My friends yeah, and that's I. Yeah, big one for we, us. Yeah. yeah. We went to Ohio as well uh, this past year uh, to Schoenbrunn Village. So we go all over the place
0: good for you. That's awesome. Well, it's great. it's great talking to you. It's great hearing your stories and of course, continuing to follow you on your Facebook page. Um, you want to plug real quick what your website is and for people who want to look you up and, and who are in the area that might want to join, join the eighth.
1: Sure. So our Facebook page is, um, is facebook.com slash K eight lights L I G H T S and our website is www.k8 the number 8 L-I-G-H-T-S, lights.com so k8lights.com
0: yeah and you got some and you have some really nice blog articles on there too about just kind of i mean tied in with with your wife's work and and things about civilian uh type things as well just in addition to the history of the, of the right. lights right yeah, yeah it's yeah, everything it's from cooking resource.
1: and hair all the way to firearms uh, we have demonstrations of live shooting so it's it's a mixture of things throughout the year
0: yeah it's, it's a great resource I, I really do recommend it for anybody who who really wants to to dig into some some great living history stuff so uh Marcio it was great having you I really appreciate it and uh you know of course I'd like to have you on again especially after another you have another one of those really cool events so
1: thanks a lot thank you very much you're welcome